welcome to Kicking a Java Style with Cassie. Okay, let me first of all say that this is not a just fun, happy coffee time. This is a pretty serious discussion. I'm going to tell my story of my my marriage and my divorce, domestic violence. I'm going to tell the whole story. I know I've talked a little bit about my life and some of the things, um, but I am ready to tell my story. Now, let's also say that I've already done this this morning, an entire episode, and the phone calls and texts kept coming through and interrupting it. So it put it on kinds of pieces. I tried to edit it. It published out of order. So I had to completely delete it. So this will be my second time to do this. The first time you would have heard all the birds at my house and all the chickens and the roosters because I had all my windows open. So now you won't get to hear all those pleasant sounds while I'm telling my story. But I am going to start this over. So, um, I, I really pray that my story affects your life, um, impacts your life in a way, uh, no matter which situation you're on, whether you're on the side of someone that can help somebody overcoming domestic violence, or you're in a situation yourself. Okay, so I'm recording with my headset this time and not uh, recording with my professional microphone, and it's going to be different on the sound, I'm sure. I'll try to edit it and work on this as much as I can. But let me give you a little bit of background about myself. Like everybody, I grew up in a family that had stuff. So there were hurts and there was dysfunctions and there was mindsets that I learned that weren't good. Um, So I took them into my life and into relationships. I had no identity in who I was. Um, I did love Jesus. I was serving Jesus. I knew about him. I knew the word, but I didn't have the word in me. I was not established in my identity in Christ. I was not established in my identity as Cassie of who I am. Um, So I got married young. I got married at 19. This is after things that I had, you know, had walked through in my home. Um, And I'm not in any way trying to put my family down. They all had their own stories. There's been a lot of healing and a lot of time with Jesus, and a lot of time has passed, so that is not me trying to put down my family. It is me telling my story. So I had the mindset that I just needed to get married to have the actual love and family that I wanted, and so I uh, met the kids' dad, um, and we were married within six weeks. Did not know him. He did not know me. He is 12 12 years older than I am, So, you know, he's done a lot of things and lived his life and I haven't, you know, his family's very, very tight knit. My family is not, um, it, there was dysfunction between me and his mom. There was just a lot of stuff, but we made it work for nine and a half years, had two beautiful children and it just couldn't work anymore. And there was so much shame for me of wondering how in the world we could love Jesus, go to church and could not make this marriage work. So I took on a lot of shame and, Uh, He met someone, they were married, you know, I think like the next year, I rebounded extremely. I had started coping with my shame and, and all of my past and all of my mindsets with alcohol. So I, for the most part, I didn't drink around my children. Um, There was a couple episodes that they did know I was drinking. Most of the time it was when they were gone. 
or I snuck around and did it, but I would, I was drinking more than I should. I started going to clubs and just acting out and doing stuff. I was always going to church, but I was so split on how I felt about things as far as my, my actions were doing one thing and my heart was saying another. And so I met someone online. Uh, we dated long distance for six months. Um, we did spend some time around each other. I do not recommend, uh, that kind of, I don't, I just don't recommend it. If you are going to online date, online date, make sure you are spending lots of physical time together and getting to know each other. So we got married. It was a disaster. Four years of in and out. Now here's where I've really dealt with a lot of shame. We divorced and remarried three times because um, it was just dysfunctional. Uh, eruption of violence and words and and hostility, and then it would be super, super good, and it would be super, super bad. It was so toxic, so dysfunctional uh, for me, for him, for my children. Uh, he didn't have children, so this is his first experience. Um, totally dysfunctional, but we kept getting back together for codependent reasons, financial reasons, um, shame. Uh, making this work would mean I wouldn't have to feel so bad that the first marriage didn't work. It was jacked up. I was jacked up. I did not still go to God. I did not get the inner healing that I needed to stop doing this dysfunction. So after the last episode um, with him and the divorce, I spent eight years uh, single. I did have a couple of relationships that I entered into that were dysfunctional. Um, I got out of them. I seem to have kept attracting the abusive cycle dysfunction. That is what happens when you are not healed. You will keep returning to the same thing. So... Eight years goes by, um, and I'm not just going to, I mean, it would be too long if I went over all the things. I, I had a lot of codependency in my life. I was trying to overcome a lot of bad choices as far as like um, codependent friendships. I'd gotten away from the drinking, but I had codependent friendships, uh, still serving God, still going to church, doing all kinds of different things. Ended up moving to Texas, uh, just trying to get some healing in me. Uh, I started doing Christian country promotionals uh, for artists, and that is how I met my um, ex-husband where I'm telling the story. So I'm going to, I'm actually going to take a break. I'm going to add um, in our, in an, I'm going to put in an ad for Anchor so that you know where I'm recording this. And I'm going to take a break, a mental break, and I'm going to go have some lunch, and then I will come back and I will share some more. Okay, so I went and had some Mexican food. I am back. thought I would just take a breather before I get started really into this. You might hear some traffic. Uh, I'm by a highway, so I'm really sorry about that. Okay, so I moved to Texas. Um, I started doing promotions and booking events and, and doing DJ work and podcasting and, you know, all kinds of stuff for Christian country artists. And that is how I met my husband uh, that I'm not that I went through the divorce with from the domestic violence. So I met him by uh, putting his song on my my syndicated program. And then I started helping him and helping promote, help him book and just, you know, pushing his ministry. And so we actually met in person at an event that I was helping with. Um, I was helping gather artists. I was helping do just different stuff at this. And we met in person. And when we met, there was an instant connection that I believe with my heart. I used to believe with all my heart, but some people have said things to put a little bit of, you know, uncertainty in it. But at that time, I believed with my whole heart that what I felt was God. It, 
everybody there felt it. It, it, I can't even explain it. It was crazy. Um, we connected, we started spending time together. We started dating. We fell in love hard and fast. Um, now to give a little bit of background for him, he had, uh, been delivered and walked out of meth addiction. And when I say meth addiction, I mean, started in like right at high school, uh, rodeos and traveling and, and just doing the meth till it became an addiction to where he cooked the meth and he sold the meth and he became a huge, huge dealer in the Fort Worth, Texas area. I was running with bad, bad, bad people. Um, it, he got busted in a sting, went to prison, uh, was supposed to serve 15 years in one county, eight for another. And he got radically saved in prison, uh, served 15 months, I think total, um, miraculously got out. It was a complete miracle had an amazing testimony, so he went from that into uh, doing Celebrate Recovery and then working with his family that were already in prison ministry, and he used to sing country music, so then he got into doing music for the prison ministry and started into Christian country music, okay? So he had an amazing testimony. There are things that both of us brought into the relationship as far as things that did not get healed in either one of us and so much that you just don't realize when you're, you know, you're, you're walking into something, you don't know those triggers are there until you're in the situation. Okay. So I am in no way trying to bring anything down on him or destroy where he's at in his life or his ministry. This is about what I walk through, um, what I overcome and what my goals are to help other people. Okay. So he has this wonderful testimony. Uh, we meet, we're, we're traveling together, we're dating. And, you know, at that time I didn't realize, okay, so he, he had never been married. Now, when he was on drugs, he lived with women, but not marriage. And then they just lived that life together. So their behaviors together were acceptable because that's just the life they were in. Okay. So I had been married as I stated, uh, previously. So I had all that baggage. Okay. So we were dating and, you know, we go through several months. There were many red flags. Uh, things would get too hostile, too fast in our relationship. And I would just ignore it thinking, you know, we both love Jesus. We're going to make this work. And, and I love him and he's, you know, I, I, I was his greatest fan. And so there was a lot of, of verbal and just things that were being, like I was talked to like I was stupid. And that is something that he learned behavior from his raising. And I loved, loved his dad, but there were generational things, just like there were generational things on my side. So, uh... In the mar I mean, in the dating relationship, there were a couple of major incidents that I should have been out of there, gone, uh, out. But I didn't because I I did not have enough healing in myself or uh, accountability, or and I was keeping things from people. I did not have anybody to help me work through it because I was embarrassed, and so I was not I was not using my head at all. So. 
we were going to travel from Texas to Kansas one time, and there had already been several episodes and verbal things that had happened, and it was escalating, and so when it escalated, it I got on my phone and started scrolling through uh, Facebook to get myself calm because he was driving my vehicle in Fort Worth traffic, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, and uh, punching my radio, threatening to pull it out, threatening to wreck my car, just all kinds of crazy things that were being said. So I'm like hyperventilating. So I'm like looking through my phone and I wasn't even reading it. I was just trying to calm myself down. That made him angry because I wasn't listening to him. And he backhanded the phone out of my hand so hard that it hit the window, hit the dashboard and bounced into my face. My insane reaction due to triggers for me, was to come across and swing and hit him. So I hit him in the arm. Of course, he hysterically laughed at me. I'm a wuss. So um, that it was just the meanness that was coming out was vile. And we talked about breaking up, threatened to break up, but we calmed it down. We went ahead and went, went and done the ministry thing. Uh, It was hard. It was very hard for both of us, I'm sure, because he had guilt. I had hurt and fear and just a lot of things. So we worked it out. We stayed together almost a month later. An eruption happened over what I thought was a silly conversation and like, like a playful, silly conversation back and forth through text. And, um, I, I don't even know what I said, but he started telling me I was a disrespectful person. I was arguing with him. I, I thought we were playing with each other. It was a, it was funny. I thought, I didn't even know we were having a serious conversation, and he triggered and blew up and told me we were done and left me just devastated, and so at that point in my life, I had, okay, so when I met him, I had had shoulder surgery, Um, and so I'd had to change, I was going to have to change jobs, and so I had changed jobs, was on a 90-day probation, had gotten myself a bigger apartment, because by this time, I was was living on my own, so living at the ranch where I'd been with my friends. Well, they're more like my family. And so stay with me. I'm an ENFJ. I'm going to bounce around. I'm going to not make sense sometimes because I'm trying to share my story and it's not easy. Okay, so we uh, are broke up. I'm at this point living in a church because when we broke up, of course, you know, he had been actually helping me financially some because we were, you know, serious relationship. And that was a big help, so it kept me afloat while I was trying to build my cleaning business uh, back up because the the job I'd went in after the shoulder surgery was a probation thing, and, and it was not working because I could not travel with him. He didn't like that. I didn't like it, so we had agreed that I would start my cleaning business back. And so I, here I am, no home because I can't afford the place. And I could go back to, to the ranch where I was living or I could come back to Oklahoma. I had offers for people to want me to come back. And a friend said, come stay at our church. And I won't go into all the details of that. But it was a place where I could pray. And I felt like God wanted me to stay put and wait on him. Not on on the husband-to-be, but on God. And I prayed. I prayed over him. I prayed over me. I prayed for direction. So, you know, fast forward a little bit. I had an event scheduled at the same church we had met at. There was a spring annual thing and a fall annual thing, and I had he was one of the artists. Well, he was going to go ahead and come, so I went. 
we were all there. I was friends with his friends and family. He's friends with my friends and family. Um, long story short, we were around each other. We, we could not keep our eyes off of each other. We could not, it, we just were drawn back together. So we started getting back together. He promised me it would never happen again. Um, he would never touch me again. He would never be ugly to me again, that we were going to get counseling that he did not want. You know, he asked me back into his life, said, I, I want you in my life. This is what I'll do. Of course, we went right back into doing ministry together and got busy and that never happened. And so, you know, fast forward, we get into January of the following year, end up proposed. Um, we get married in spring on the anniversary date of when we met uh, at the event, spring annual event that we uh, met at. We get married. Okay, so we get married and we're living, we had gotten a travel trailer. We picked out a travel trailer to go together and we got married. We went on a honeymoon, went to New Mexico. So we were gone almost a week, but he had lost a loved one in his family. So we had to cut it short and come back. And then he he's a welder. And so he was welding and at a job. And let me, let me set this up. So at this job where we could have been centrally located around friends and family we knew, and he was at this job and he was going to be there for another month, then go to school to become a welder inspector and then come back to this location and be there as an inspector. So then I was going to be able to continue cleaning. We were going to be around people that we knew, uh, people to speak into our life, people to be accountable. And so this was all what I thought was happening. Okay. Now, we had had many arguments about him wanting to run off to Houston and move to Houston, back to Houston, and me telling him, don't even propose to me if you think you're moving me to Houston. I'm never living in Houston. Uh, I just, no way did I want to live in Houston, Texas. So he knew that I wasn't moving there. I thought we weren't moving there. I thought we had a plan. And we come home from our honeymoon, and three days later, he quit his job, then lied to me pretended for two or three days that he was just calling in sick when he had actually quit his job. And then we never addressed the lie. I mean, I just let him pretend I knew the truth. I just never addressed the lie because I didn't want to deal with his anger. So um, our travel trailer wasn't ready. So we were staying with um, his dad and stepmom. That was awkward for newlyweds. Um, and then let me talk about the backup singer because it's a major part of this. He had a backup singer that was super excited when I first come into his life until she realized that that meant that she had to share not being the center of attention anymore because she would flat out tell you she was an only child. Um, she did not want children because she didn't want to share the attention and she wanted attention and she would tell you that I'm not, I'm not saying anything she didn't say. Um, so it had been those three musketeers traveling together. So she was the only woman. So she, of course, was a center of attention. Now, this relationship with them, I, I knew there was, there was red flags. I knew that things were going on that I should, should have, if I knew that I couldn't deal with them, I should have just moved on and, and, and went on. But I didn't because I thought once we got married, it would balance out and be proper on how, where the spouse fits into the relationship. It did not. We come home and they were, excuse the term, up our butts, staying in our travel trailer every weekend as newlyweds. Um, boundaries crossed all the time. I'm not talking sexual. I'm not talking an affair. Uh, 
he would go to her if they were getting a new booking request. He would talk to her before he would talk to me. They'd make plans without asking me. Um, she started doing very spiteful things. So anytime I addressed it, it was an explosion of anger and, and awful. And so I'm just setting that up to say that I did not handle that situation right. I nagged too much and I, I did not handle it right. Okay. So there were times that I should have kept my mouth shut and there were times that I, sh that it, it was not a good situation. Okay. I didn't have anybody speaking life into me to tell me to intercede, to pray, to um, address things with the word, to address things in a calmer way. I did not, I did not get around anybody that could help me through this. So there were a lot of fights that came out of us arguing about the backup singer. And I had no control of the money. Um, he had an account. He did not want me on it. Um, he was very generous with his money. He, he paid for my bills. Um, he never asked me what they were. He just asked me how much, gave me the money. I never knew why his bills were. It was not a normal situation. Now, I took that as because he had never been married, didn't know how it worked, um, but I did not realize that it was a control issue for a long time, that it was to keep me from leaving, actually leaving and going very far, which he admitted later to me. Um, so we come home from the honeymoon, we, we get the travel trailer, we get out of his parents' house, we go to a location where there's not a lot to do, so... He quits this job. We're living together 24-7. He's mad at himself for quitting the job because he blew up and lost his temper and quit a good job. Um, he's got this schooling that he's got to go do, so he's stressed about that. And we got to arguing about, I don't even know what we were arguing about. He escalated, I escalated, he escalated. He traps me in the bedroom of the travel trailer. Now, those are small. And when he did that, I... Shoved my, tried to shove my way out, and he took me by the throat and, and had me on the bed and was going to punch me in the face. And I'm thinking, i got to get out of this marriage. But I love him. What do I do? I can't tell anybody. This is so embarrassing. We've had this big, huge wedding. When I say huge, it wasn't a fancy wedding. It was There were people there because of the event. It was live on social media. Everybody knows we're together. We've done interviews on radio. We're, we've done recordings together. We've recorded song where I did a speaking part. I mean, we are together. I can't just walk out of this. So we're at this incident. He leaves and drives around. I leave and drive around. I'm thinking this is never going to happen again. He feels awful. I feel awful. These kind of things went on for the 11 months that I was with him. If we had any kind of discussion and I did not agree with him or my voice went an octave up at all, it was a ridiculous mess. He would feel bad. He would beat himself up for a few days, which would make things, you know, very tense. And, and, uh, the cycle went on and on and we kept it here. We did not talk to anybody. Phone call came through and interrupted the recording. Um, okay. So that school that he was doing for the inspector, he failed it. So he was really upset with himself. Um, there were some other issues that caused underlying anger towards himself that he would take out on me. Uh, you know, we didn't talk to anybody because it's embarrassing. Churches don't address it. People don't talk about domestic violence. 
to make it comfortable enough for you to go to. And, and then if they judge you and he didn't want to be judged, you want to talk about it. Um, I asked for us to get help, you know, was just, wasn't going to happen. Stuff with the backup singer just began to escalate. Petty things were going on. Um, petty little things that were, it was just awful. And this is his best friend. So, you know, here we are, we're, we're six and a half, six, seven hours away by, you know, our, our relationship. We were that far away most of the time from anybody that I even knew. So he would work nights, sleep, sleep days or vice versa. I mean, he worked and, and so I was alone a lot. And then we would have these episodes and he would tell me to get out. It's his, his money, his trailer, get out. I'm a user. I've used him. Now, when I would try to get jobs, he'd say, when are you going to get your money? Are you going to leave me? Um, when you lose weight, are you going to leave me? I mean, these are the kind of things that was said to me. Okay. So I didn't really want to, I didn't know what to do. I'd try to lose weight and, and he, it seemed like it got sabotaged and I would, you know, try to get an income. And then he was mad that, and fearful that I was going to leave him and he would say things. And it was insecurity on his part, stupidity on my part for not just getting myself a job and being solid so I could vamoose if I needed to. Um, plus it would have probably taken some of the pressure off of him, but he didn't know how to let it be. And he struggled with that, that fear that I was going to leave him. Um, my kids were in Oklahoma. My family was in Oklahoma. I would go to Oklahoma to visit. He would pay for that. He would send me, he was very generous about that. He was always generous with his money. He's a giving person. So it was never about not having money. It was never about him not giving it, but he, I had no idea how much money he made. I had no idea what he did with his money. Um, eventually we got a group, uh, joint account that was connected to both of our accounts in case of emergency. So like I said, um, I'd go to Oklahoma when I was in Oklahoma, he would be super clingy, super texting, nonstop calling. And I think you're at what in the world he's at work in my mind. I thought he was afraid. I just wouldn't come home one day cause I wanted to be with my kids or something. And through everything in January of so we got married in 2016 in January, 2017. Um, I finally confronted the backup singer in a, the most respectful, there was nothing ugly in my confrontational. It wasn't confrontational. It was confronting, um, message that I'd sent. It basically just said, Hey, I know we haven't been around a lot. Um, the reason for this is, uh, because, you know, we're struggling in our marriage and we've had nothing but stress, the lot, you know, the loss of his job, uh, moving around, the loss of his loved one, um, someone with us all the time. And so um, we are, you know, kind of trying to get to know each other better and we're working on our marriage. And I just wanted you to know that. And, you know, so I'm in Oklahoma when I sent this, she gets a hold of him and we're, and then he tells me that they've had a conversation and I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I cannot travel with her. She's trying to undermine our marriage. Um, let's just agree to disagree. I can't wait to get home to see you. He said, okay, let's do that. I can't wait to get home. I can't wait for you to be home. Um, I was in Oklahoma for a funeral. I come home, he's in the shower. The phone was laying there and I read, I, I shouldn't have, but I just had this weird feeling and I clicked it open and it opened up to an awful, now what I did was a violation of privacy and should not have been done. I'm not saying that I'm right in that at all. Um, it was an awful conversation between the two of them about me, her trying to tell him to divorce me, 
Um, him saying things that were awful, that hurt me deeply, deeply hurt me. And they were not having a physical affair. My counselor at the time here in Oklahoma told me that it was an emotional affair, that some people don't see that. But when you are going to the opposite sex and not your spouse and you're going to them with emotional things, that is called an emotional affair. That did not sit well with me because I do not believe that it was an affair. What I do feel like is it was a dysfunctional, kind of like a mother and son that's dysfunctional where the mother's hovering and being an awful mother-in-law or a sister that's being ridiculous. They're not related, but it was like that relationship to me because um, he did consider, called her his sister. Uh, so that was more what I felt like. I did not feel like it was an affair. I did feel like it was inappropriate. I felt like um, that I purposely was being left out of things that she would very much make sure that I knew that she was uh, out front. So she would sing. She would be on the stage with my husband. Very rarely was I on the platform with him. I did do some speaking. Most of the time I was running the, the tape, the CDs and all that and selling that. But multiple times I asked that her or her husband come and relieve me as soon as they were done singing so that I could be with my husband and meet people and greet people and pray for people and be by my husband. Not one time was I ever relieved. Not one time did they come over there. She would go with my husband and talk to people and pray with people. And so the other thing is not one time did either one of them ever offer to help me with carrying in stuff from my CD table. It was very obvious. It was those three musketeers and I was basically an outsider in my own marriage is what it felt like. So was I jealous? Yes. Was some of it just these are boundaries being crossed and you're wrong. You should not, this is wrong behavior. Yes, it was both. Um, the Bible says where there is jealousy and envy, every evil work is at work. And he had jealousy thinking insecurities that I was cheating. I had jealousies of that relationship, um, not knowing where I fit in. And there was every evil work at play. Every evil work was at play. So this confrontation happens. I, you know, or, I'm sorry, I read all this stuff, and, and I know I'm jumping around. I read all this stuff in this, this message, okay? I was going to pretend like I didn't see it because we were excited to see each other, and we were going to go out to eat. I was so sick. I mean sick. I was shaking. I was almost vomiting. Um, I did text my mentor, um, spiritual mama, and I was like, I'm devastated. This is what was said. This is what she said. This is what he said. I feel like I'm going to die, and she was praying for me. Get in the vehicle, get in the truck, and we're headed to uh, the restaurant. He keeps asking what's wrong. I finally set, cry and say, I know what you said about me. He says, I'm crazy. I'm insane. Who told you that? And he just keeps going on and on. I finally said, I read it on your phone. I think we were in the restaurant by the time I said that. He just kept on and on. And Paul's like, I read it on your phone. And mainly because I didn't want to tell him that I snooped on his phone because I had never done that in our entire marriage. But I knew that something was off. And so I told him that. He called me a liar, handed me the phone. This is in the restaurant. Tells me to look at it and prove it to him. And I went to try to read him and he jerked it out of my hand. Told me I was crazy. So I went to the restroom, cried, came back, hands me the phone back. And when he hands me the phone back, he had deleted all the text, but like two. And so I'm like, huh? This is insane. 
So I, he was escalating in the restaurant. I was embarrassed. I said, I'm going to go outside and stand outside and, and uh, I'm going to be out there because I, I can't do this. So I'm in the standing freezing rain. He comes out, um, gets in the vehicle. We get in the vehicle, which is a dangerous place to be with him when he would escalate. He's threatening me, you know, yada, yada, yada. This goes on. We get to the house. I'm like, if you continue to escalate and do not de-escalate, I'm going to call the police. It was a few minutes, seemed like hours of sitting there just staring into nothing, a blank TV. He finally says, I did it. I was like, you did what? He goes, I did say all that. And I am so sorry. I was so upset because he did not want to stop traveling with them. And so he was upset and he... So anyways, the next day he comes home, he says, I want to get baptized together. And at first I was a little upset about that. And then I thought, well, this might be, he was doing it symbolically to restart. So I thought, we're going to make it. We're going to restart. We did the baptism. We got some counsel that pastors told us to get them out of our lives, keep them out of our marriage, that it was not healthy, that they had seen things themselves. He agreed. And we agreed that we weren't going to travel with them anymore. Um. We ended up moving back down to the coast, to Surfside Beach. We had been there once before, um, but we moved back down there. Things were going great, and then suddenly they weren't. So uh, let me also preface this next part of, let, let me go back and tell you a couple other things that happened. Anytime he got angry, he, he wanted me out of his house. So there were times I sat for hours in a vehicle crying. There were time, There was one time I was in Oklahoma when he got mad and got almost got in a fistfight at work, quit a job that he just started that day. Um, I thought he was joking when he told me because he was a jokester. Then I was like, we were staying at his dad's again. I was like, I cannot come back there if you're going to be angry. I cannot come back there because the multiple things had happened, okay, by this point. I was like, I cannot come back there if, you, if you're going to be angry. He's an angry man. You're being angry. I can't do that. I, we, we need to go move the trail, travel trailer somewhere where we can be alone. And he said, don't come home. So he kicked me out for like two weeks, um, me begging him to, you know, please, this, this is crazy. We got married for the death of his part. I don't want a divorce. Let's just work it out. He says, okay. So he has me come back. And he's still living with his dad um, at the time because he did not want to pay because he had quit his job. Now, we had money, but he did not want to spend it. Um, he wanted to not. He wanted to park his RV or the travel trailer and stay at his parents to save money. Okay, that's fine. But it was just one of the best things for our newlyweds that had issues. So I come back. So I've kind of backtracked on you. I come back the pretty much the day I come back. We had something scheduled. Maybe it was the next day. I was going to a nursing home to seeing um, he was. And I was in. So uh, I disrespected. I said something about this backup singer. Um, like I didn't want him to come somewhere or something. So I backtracked on you. Okay. And when I did, he exploded. Exploded. And said I, I disrespected him because I, I think I said a cuss word. And ends up, I get in the vehicle with him while he's angry. He threatens to kill me, threatens to kill himself, threatens to run into things. Um, and beats, I mean, he's being violent and beating the dash, beating the, you know, console, just different things. I'm hysterical. He apologized. He feels awful. We sing afterwards. There's a whole nother, like, a conversation because while we were apart, he planned a vacation with his sister and kids. And I didn't know that he'd planned it. I thought when I came back and he was going to the state park with the travel trailer that it was going to be me and him to reunite and, and work on us. So the, 
we're on our way back from this episode. The sister calls. They're talking about the plans. I was like, oh, we're going to have company. I, I don't understand. Wasn't that I didn't want to be around them. I just wanted to work on us. So when he got off, he said, you're quiet. What's the matter? And I said, well, I, do you not like me? Do you not want to be around me? I don't understand why you're bringing other people. Can, we need to be alone and we need to, this is our, we're having trouble. We need to be alone and then invite them. Like we need some alone time. He completely exploded. It escalated. He did not know how to deal with confrontation at all. I did not know how to deal with him. I'm like shaking, scared. It escalates into threatening again, getting back. You know, um, he tries to take off on his motorcycle. I was afraid he's going to kill himself. I'm embarrassed. I don't want to go in the home because I know they heard us arguing. So sit out there and he's like, text me in a little bit. Hey, I'm at the lake. It's so pretty here. And I'm thinking, what, are you bipolar? You just told me to get gone and you didn't want anything to do with me. And now you're being nice. Well, that's because he, he truly loved me and he, he was feeling awful. But I had to, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm at in this relationship that people do not know what I went through. I had to pray. And make sure I was scared that I really, truly thought he might harm me and himself. And I had to pray and get peace to go and even be there with him. So I get there. We make up. He's very remorseful. I'm remorseful. And so those are the kind of things that would go on in our marriage. That's why I backtracked to tell you. So let's fast forward. We're down at Surfside. Things were going pretty good. I was starting to get some uh, income plans with life insurance license. Um, I started making friends. I was going to coffee shops and stuff and, and just trying to make it work. But I was very lonely and it was hard. I would say things, you know, I would get depressed and, and lonely. And I would, and it, it, I'm sure that did not help him because he had the pressure of that on him. Um, he's going through things at his job. He, he didn't really, he was never really content because as he had some dreams and goals that he did not know how to verbalize. And I, I would have loved and supported it 100%, but he never really verbalized it. And so he didn't tell me what his plans were. So I'm thinking this is going to always be our life. He's always going to get mad. He's always going to leave. We're never going to have a home. Um, there's never going to be a place for my family to come to or his family. And this is not going like we had said it was. Well, and at this point in our marriage, 11 months in, my daughter had had two miscarriages back to back in December and then January. So I'm not in a good place emotionally at all. I mean, at all. And he's more angrier all the time, all the time. And um, there was a weekend, two weekends in a row. The one weekend, there was an explosive situation where we, we were six hours away. We had two vehicles there because of just the way the ministry stuff had went that weekend. We both had events. We met it. We've traveled, followed each other. He went to, we went to a restaurant. Um, we were arguing about, he was going to go drive through Houston traffic. Now remember, I think I said on here, I hate Houston. And I was like going a different route to avoid it. And we started arguing about that. Then it was something else about the menu. He didn't agree with my order. I don't know. I didn't agree with something. Escalates in the restaurant. He flies off the handle and leaves me at this restaurant and takes off. I had my own vehicle. Wasn't a big deal as far as that. But in my, I kept telling myself, get in the car. Drive the opposite way. Go back to where you came from. Go back to the ranch. Drive the opposite way. Things are out of control. This is going to get bad. Do not go home. But I couldn't do it. I loved him. I wanted to be with him. So I went home. Two days later, I messaged some friends. I said, something bad is about to happen. I feel it. He's escalating. He blew up somebody in the parking lot. When I asked him what in the world was going on with him, all I could say was pray. Now, I do not know 
if he was being tempted to use, if our stress of our marriage was causing that and that making him angrier. I don't know if he used. I don't think he did. I, I don't want to believe that at all. I, 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 I loved him and I, I don't think he used, but it was a temptation, I'm sure, because I twice dealt with our situation with alcohol and got drunk. You know, not on purpose, but like I said, they were pouring me drinks because I was venting and I got drunk. So I know the temptation to go back to your, your vice. I know that temptation. So, okay, so a couple of days it went past this event. Then we get to Friday and he says to me, um, text me and said, could you pray for me? I, it was something he was mad about at his job. I don't think I can stay here much longer. I was like, okay, praying. Longer I thought about it, I thought I can't do this again. I can't. We just got down here. I finally started settling in. I cannot do it again. So I texted him. I said, I hope they give you what you want because honestly, I don't think I can relocate again. And he blew up. I said, I was sorry. I shouldn't have said anything. Comes home. Atmosphere is super weird. Super, very heavy, thick, ugly atmosphere. And I was felt like I was holding my breath. He finally sulked until he went to bed. Um, I avoided and went to bed late. And then we got up the next day to start packing. Um, I was acting sheepish. And he blew up. Wanted to know what was wrong with me. And I tried to make up something. And then he said, went off about what, how I disrespected him the day before. Started calling me a C-U-N-T, which he had done multiple times in our marriage. Screaming at the top of his lungs at me. Telling me I wasn't going with him. Um, unpacked from my car and put it all in his car and I'm panicking because he's telling me the marriage is over. He's done. So I did something really stupid. I, when he was in the shower thinking he would calm down, he had both of the keys to our vehicle because I was being very codependent, very fearful. And he come out, gets ready to leave, gets really super mad. I finally get him to sit down. That did not last for five seconds. He explodes. By then, the keys have fallen in the back of the couch. I can't get them for him without, and I was trying to pull the couch out um, for the bed thing and reach for them when he picked up my puppy. And when he did, I knew that that was not the man I married, that something severely was wrong. He absolutely loves animals. And I knew at this point that one of us was not leaving that trailer in my mind. That's what I thought. Okay, so I had to go clean a house and... I recorded about 25 more minutes to the episode and realized that it had switched from my headphone to my smartwatch and the sound was awful. So here I am again trying to do the last part of this and my throat is getting very sore from recording. Okay, so I'm going to back up a little bit. A couple of things that... I did not share was that the backup singer that I did make a huge effort to um, do some kind of restoration on behalf of my husband who was missing them, missing his friends. He seemed to have more fun with them than he did me. I, my personality is more serious, especially when I'm in a, uh, a stressful, serious situation like I was. So they were cut up. They were, when I say clown, I don't mean that in a bad way, but they cut up. I could see that he was struggling with something, me trying to figure it out. I assumed it was them, so I made a huge effort, um, had a long conversation, apologized for all my reactions and actions to her, never got any admittance to anything done wrong. So um, I just thought, well, for his sake, you know, we'll, we'll restore this. So I'm thinking at this point, you know, um, they were going to meet us for this weekend. And I'm sure he was nervous about it. I was nervous about it. 
And so we go back to the dog situation. Um, I just wanted to throw that in there because it matters about the story. So the dog situation, he's thrown the puppy. I knew in the, the man I knew would never do that, that there was something greatly wrong. Whatever was happening was, it was bad. And so it escalated. I immediately went into fight mode and tried to fight my way out of there and tried to get away from him. Uh, I ended up, you know, because I've already shared this like twice now, I'm just going to kind of skip forward. Um, it was a very bad situation. I ended up with finger, like his, my, his hand over my face, squeezing, holding me down on the couch. Ended up with an arm wrung out, twisted like a wash rag. I knew in my heart when it was done, I knew immediately that this was not a spur of the moment, snap, break, make your arm. This was a, a learned technique for torture. And I knew that yeah, somehow in my heart, I knew that, that it had something to do with his past in his drug dealing time when it was his job and responsibility to get drugs back or money back. And I knew there was a past. I knew it immediately. He confessed later that if he wanted my arm broke, he would have broke it, that he knew what he was doing. So that confirmed it later, but I knew in my heart that I had to get out of there, that it was, that it was bad. Um, we went back and forth. Lots of stuff happened. He left, came back. I left, came back. I stayed the night at a friend's house um, or in their hotel. Um, I did take my wedding ring off at that moment because of some things he was saying, uh, abusive towards the wedding ring, that you see that wedding ring on your finger, don't you? You're not leaving. If as long as that's on your finger, you're going to do yada, da, 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 da. Just some abusive things that broke my heart. Wasn't the covenant I made with him. I took the wedding ring off. I said, that is not what this is. And until you realize that, I will not put it back on my hand. I love you, but I cannot, I'm not going to, that's, now you've distorted how I see this ring. Uh, we need some help. I'm going to go stay somewhere where it's safe. I stayed overnight. It was constant accusations. Um, then it was, I'm sorry, please come home. Then it was accusations. Then it was abusive words and sorry. Went back and forth. I did come back home and stay the night with him. He was very remorseful. We were both so heartbroken. Um, he was redoing the class that he had failed in the beginning of the marriage. He was stressed out. He was going to be doing that. He was afraid of failing again. There were some issues health-wise in our life that were causing some issues in the marriage. Um, not in the marriage necessarily, in maybe himself, self-esteem things. Um, just some stuff that was going on. And so uh, there was a lot of pressure. And... I ended up, he, his, his idea was since, you know, it had the miscarriages with my grand or my daughter with the grandchildren, um, you go see your kids while I do this school for the next two weeks, I'll take the test. And I said, well, you're going to have to see a counselor because this is, this is a bad, bad situation. He agreed. The counselor was, well, the counselor was an idiot and that's just all there is to it. I don't even want to go into that. So it was a disaster for him. It was a disaster for me. Um, it was a one-time thing, so that just nullified for him that he did not like counselors. He didn't want to talk to preachers, pastors, because they would know that it would affect his ministry and his booking. He didn't trust counselors. You know, it was a long ordeal. And I'm going to skip all the details to just say that we never saw each other again. We fought continually back and forth. There was a lot of manipulation, a lot of anger, a lot of hurt, a lot of me begging. Um, it was me come and live at the house with him. Or me not come back at all. That was his. That was his standards. 
Um, I wanted to either meet halfway and spend time together on every other weekend. Um, I would say, hey, why don't we, every other weekend maybe you don't book. And he literally told me, I will divorce you before I quit ministry. So I knew his identity was in the ministry. Um, in July, I thought we were going to get back together. I was ready to just move home because I missed him so much. We were at a good place communicating on the phone. Uh, I had said, you know, at this point, I had reached out to the, the backup singer multiple times because I knew there was no way my marriage would be restored unless her and I were restored somehow that we developed a relationship. She never spoke to me again from the time I left there ever again. Never heard from her. She would ignore me. She never replied. I was like, we've got to talk because my marriage is not going to make it if we do not figure out our situation and set some boundaries. And I told her I was sorry that I didn't handle things right. Yada, yada, yada. You know, it's just a lot of stuff. Um, that I'm not trying to put her down. I'm just telling you where I'm at with what happened in our life. And so uh, July comes. We're having good conversations. I'm like, I want to come home. Uh, I, we'll figure it out when I get there. Dumb, because I did not have any accountability telling me that is not safe. That is not wise. And I know God probably kept that from happening. But at the same time, we were in a good place. And I said, you know, hey, I want you guys to want you to be happy. And so they weren't traveling together all the time. So I knew it wasn't going to be as hard, but I was like, so when they're there, since she's not speaking to me, I will stay home and you guys go ahead and travel together. I'm not going to tell you, you can't travel with her. And he said, well, that's good because you need to really rethink that even because I need her in my life. She makes me look better, sound better and makes my ministry more anointed. And I simply just said, because I didn't, I don't feel like he believed in himself. And I simply just said, well, we'll have to agree to disagree because I don't think you need anybody to do that. I think you're pretty amazing yourself. He blew up and told me it was her or me. I mean, it was, it was her or nothing. Like she was going to be, he was not, there was no compromise. And I said, I already said I would stay home. And he was like, well, that's not acceptable. I'll send you divorce papers. And he had me divorce papers emailed to me the next week. So that was in July. Um, it went back and forth, begging, arguing, manipulation, lies, uh, lots of lies, manipulation, arguing. Uh, comes to October, he gets the divorce papers. Final the documents were for me to come sign. I went to pick him up, begged him to meet me. He did not meet me, left him at a point for me to pick up. I could not even sign them. I was so sick. I drove home with them. Uh, ended up having to sign them. Or I signed them, but I did not drop them off at the courthouse. I signed them in Texas, but I refused. I couldn't do it. I did not want a divorce. Took me a couple of weeks. I finally mailed them. I continued to beg and continued to plead. He would talk to me. Then he'd get mad and block me, unblock me, block me, unblock me. This went on for months. Got the divorce in January. February, I'm still begging, telling him that I didn't believe we were supposed to be divorced. God would intervene. God would fix this. God would help us. We just had to get some accountability and some counseling and some medication or whatever was needed to calm the nerves. Um, February, Valentine's, I was sending gifts. I was sending his favorite things. I was sending letters, letting him know what, how I saw him, how I always had seen him. Um, he finally responds and says he's in Celebrate Recovery. He's doing some things to better himself and that he loves me. He texts my mentor, told her he loved me. Um, told me that when he was ready, that he would let me know and we would get back together. I was so excited. Two weeks later, 
I get a message from a relative of his that says, I'm really sorry. And I was like, what? And she's like, have you not been on social media? I'm like, no. What happened? He introduced his fiance. So I think that he didn't meet me in October because I think he was already seeing somebody and I don't know how long that had happened. And that's just my guesstimation. I'm not judging him. I'm just saying, I think that he had already moved on and did not know how to tell me. Um, I was completely devastated completely. Um, I was done with, I was done, done believing, done praying. Uh, this is the first time I felt emotional. So this means this part is not healed and I will continue pressing to and to be healed from this. I was devastated. Now, lots of things have happened. Um, God has brought me five amazing grandkids, um, a daughter-in-law, a son-in-law. I now own a home. I have my business. I've had the health issues and stuff, but you know what? I'm blessed. Uh, God is restoring all that. I believe God has restored him and we're still restoring him. He has a family. He has, you know, um, I think step grandkids. He's, he's stable. He has a home. He has, you know, a teaching position because I do see, I mean, it's public, you know, there's social media. People share his live videos. People share updates. Uh, I, I've seen that he's got a very good life and I'm so happy for him. And I don't want anybody judging him. I don't want anybody judging the backup singer. So if you're listening to this podcast and you know who I'm talking about, please do not judge, pray. I, I don't know if I will ever stop loving this man. I pray that I'm able to one day not feel anything at all. Just know that I love him because he is God's. And then just, you know, I hope one day I have somebody. I hope I have somebody. The woman at the well had five spouses and, and Jesus came to her anyways. And not anyways, he purposely came to her. And Jesus comes to sit with me every day to let me know he loves me. And I hope that, that I can still have that kind of restoration in my life to have someone to have grow old with and to have fun with and, and everything. But I know the Lord's still healing me and restoring and... If that doesn't happen, I have my family, I have my friends, I have my home, I have my business. Most of all, I have God. So I'm sharing this because I want people to understand that the abuse goes on behind closed doors. In ministries, in ministers' homes, in evangelists' homes, in pastors' homes, in deacons' homes, in people in the church's home, the churches have got to start talking about it. There's got to be accountability. There's got to be programs. There's got to be... Uh, accountability for the abuser, uh, safe places for the victims. It, there's got to be truth and there's got to be boldness in this stuff. And so I am working on research. I don't feel qualified at all. So I'm hoping to find more and more pe people that are qualified to work with. Uh, but I have a passion to see restoration. You know, one day with what I do, it's very likely that I will run into them in ministry and I would like for people to see that he and I are restored enough so much that we could be on the same stage and platform uh, with what I do and the people I've been involved with their lives we are likely to run into each other and I want people to see that God can take two messed up people whether we made it back together or not which we didn't but no matter what they could see the restoration in both of our lives and who knows, we may run into each other one day. So I definitely am not saying any of this to expose him. 
I had my hands on him. I used language I should have never used. I had jealousy running in me that shouldn't have been running in me. I nagged about uh, the fact that we were moving all the time instead of taking it to the Lord and interceding. And I'm not saying you can't speak your mind. I'm talking there comes a point where you've got to give it to God. And I don't think I truly ever did that. So there's things. I made mistakes all the time. And I told you, I got twice I went to alcohol and I got completely obliterated drunk. And neither time was that at the intentions. But I should have never ran to the alcohol. I should have went to someone stronger and got on my knees and, and prayed with somebody. So I made mistakes. So I am not trying to get anybody to look bad upon uh, this person. I want to bring truth. I want to be, bring light to if you do not get yourself inner healed and you do not have an identity with Christ, you're going to miss the warning signs of your own triggers or your own behaviors. You're going to miss the warning signs of the person you're with. Whether this is a parental relationship, a brother-sister relationship, friendship, dating, work relationship, you have got to be uh, in tune with all those things that is in you that would draw you or keep you in a situation that is not good for you and not healthy and abusive. So anyways, I am going to put the 1-800-CRISIS line on the show notes for domestic violence. I am also going to put a link to uh, Bible passages about relationships and abuse in relationships. Uh, thank you for listening to my story. I hope that it touches somebody's heart. One more thing, I forgot to tell you that this is the last episode of this season. I may have told you, but since I've had to delete things and restart so many times, I don't even know. So instead of listening to it all to remember, this is the last episode of this season. I have got my Zoom app downloaded and paid for Zoom so that I can learn how to do audio interviews where it's recorded and I can download the audio file and then upload it into this platform uh, to produce the interviews and the podcast. So the plan is to enter, uh, to end this with season five, episode 11, take, uh, next week, I'm going to do a practice run and so I'll do the practice run next week and then learn how to download the audio file and edit it and then upload it. And then the goal is either my birthday weekend, which is Memorial weekend to launch the new season or the first weekend in June, launch that new season with an interview with Carol Hogner who is a Christian country artist and minister, and also my mentor, my mama. She's my adopted mama. Uh, my mom is here in Oklahoma. She's my Texas mama. And I have interviewed her before, but it's been a long time. And we're going to talk about life. We're going to talk about when your dreams change and shift and enjoying where you're at and just, you know, just talk about life. So uh, be looking for that. And this is the last episode of season five. Be sure to check out my website too, dreamcatcher320.com. Thank you.